Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. This is a special edition of Christmas Eve 2021. Ryan is here with the brief message, and I want to encourage you also to go to the show notes. It's a unique service, and so I included a link, so when you have a chance, it's worth it to go and watch the whole service. So I will see you next time, and Merry Christmas. That's so good. You can clap louder for kids. Come on. My, yeah. Well, Merry Christmas. I want to welcome you. My name is Ryan. If you're a guest this evening with family and friends, or maybe you're a part of Crossroads, maybe this is the first time you're back in the building since the pandemic began, it's great to see everybody. Uh, and I'm the lead pastor here, and so it's wonderful. We're getting ready to light our fifth Advent candle, which is the Christ candle, the one right there in the center. And over the last four weeks, we've been talking about the meaning behind the magic of Christmas. How many of you, raise your hand up nice and high, would say Christmas is kind of a magical season, kind of like some of your outfits tonight? magical. Somebody came in tonight. I don't know where you are, but you won. I saw you out in the atrium and just won. A cat in, there was cats everywhere. And right back there, like she's pointing, she's cats everywhere in Santa Claus and the mask to match it. That guy is amazing. Wonderful. Wonderful. So it's good to be. So, but this, this, this Christmas season is filled with magic. And, uh, and we've been exploring the meaning behind these beautiful stories of stars that travel and stop. We, it's just kind of a weird thing, right? We've been the stories of angels filling the night sky and singing and shepherds and wise men and things that we would say, well, that just doesn't happen. And we get into big arguments about it. Can that happen? Can a virgin give birth? No, a virgin can't give birth. So we argue about it. We said, hold on a second. Can we just hit the pause button on all that nonsense? And can we ask, what does it mean? What does it mean for our lives? And that's what we're talking about. So let's try something tonight. No lyrics up on the screen. I want to see if you've heard this new one. Uh, it's a Christmas carol. It's a new one out there. So I want you to sing along with me if you know it. All right, it might take you a second to catch on. Are you ready? Take it. Everybody sit up nice and straight like you're in junior high choir. All right, because you sing from down here. All right, so here we go on the count of three. One, two, three. Away in um. No crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The Oh, some of you held that out nice. Give yourselves a great big hand. Sound good. So you've heard that one before. You've heard that one. Yeah. It's, it's a popular one because it talks about the manger, the manger. The manger is where it's at, right? I mean, that's, that's everything Christmas points to is the manger, the nativity. Y'all ever been to a live nativity? Raise your hand nice and high. A bunch of grown people dressed like they lived in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. It's a little strange. I get it. But there's good ones have the live animals and the sheep and the hay and a real baby out there. We're putting in danger. You know, I'm from New England, right? I mean, that's a crazy thing to do in December, stick a baby out there in a live manger, you know? But we would do that, right? Because there's something powerful. My favorite nativity, my favorite live nativity is the one that's found in Daddy's Home too. Y'all ever seen 
Daddy's Home 2. How many of y'all have not seen Daddy's Home 2? Raise your hand. Just own it on Christmas. You've just confessed. You're in church. You haven't seen it. Your homework is to go home tonight and watch the greatest Christmas movie of the 21st century, Daddy's Home 2. You will not regret it, I promise. If you need access, you can have my Apple account login, and you can watch it for free. But then that's it. All right, I don't want anybody coming after me. But it's a great scene. It, the whole movie kind of culminates to the live nativity scene where they're all out there as a family, extended family, stepbrother, stepsister, stepdads, it all's together. And all of a sudden, it starts to fall apart in the nativity. Everybody's standing around watching. It's kind of beautiful. And Brad thinks it's his turn to play Joseph. And he wants the Joseph beard. But he doesn't want to give up the Joseph beard right? Rusty doesn't, he doesn't want to give it up. And, and so their argument starts off. And then what happens next? Just, it's a snowball effect. One thing after the other, the young preteen 12-year-old falls off of the top of the nativity. She was the angel, falls off. She had a little too much eggnog when nobody was looking. And uh, so that, that kind of falls apart. And then there's an argument that starts and everybody starts accusing one another. There's some nearly choice words, and then a snowball fight ensues. It's chaos at its finest, right at the live nativity. It's the best one ever. You've got to watch it, right? And the whole time, they forget about the baby in the manger, right? After this huge scene, they're like, is that your baby in the manger back there, right? It's so great. But we're drawn to the manger. It's the centerpiece of the nativity. It's what draws us. But why? Right? We've been asking the big why questions around here over the last week. But why a manger, Luke is the only one in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they tell the story of Christmas and Jesus. Only Luke has a manger. Matthew doesn't know anything about a manger. He doesn't care if Jesus was born in a manger. It doesn't matter to him. John doesn't even, Mark doesn't even care that Jesus was born. He just shows up ready to get baptized, right? But Luke, he's like, no, he's born in a manger. And we wouldn't expect that, right? This one who's called a king. We'd find him in a palace, maybe. Certainly in the capital city of Jerusalem, not Bethlehem, in a manger. But Luke mentions it specifically. Not once, not twice, but three times. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and then in verse 13 and 15, we find this beautiful story of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem. And it says that she gave birth to Jesus. And then it says that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a, help me out, manger. manger. You'll catch on. There's two more tries, okay? So I see he mentions it three times. Lays him in the manger because there's no room for them in the inn. And then it goes on to say that there's some shepherds out in their fields. And they're just minding their own business like shepherds do, watching the sheep, right? Kids, what sound do sheep make? There was a good one over there. He's like, bah, right? That's kind of what it is over there. That was pretty good. So the shepherds are out. They're tending their flocks. And then the sky lights up. And it's filled with all these angels. And Luke tells us that the angels proclaim to the shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a, in a manger. That's number two. And suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, and they were praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go on to Bethlehem to see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they took off. They went as fast as they could. They found Mary and Joseph, and the infant was lying in the manger. Luke was like, do you get it? There's a manger where they feed the animals, where there's typically hay, there's a baby in the manger. So what does it mean? Because we could spend all day arguing, well, Matthew doesn't know, and historically, but what does it mean? Why the manger? There's a really interesting story in the history of the Jewish thought about the Bible 
So there's this, there's this part of the scripture that we don't really have, but, but Jewish circles still have, and it's called the Midrash. And it's where rabbis would get together, and they would tell stories, and they would argue about the meaning of scripture. And there's this really interesting passage in the Midrash where Adam, if you remember the story of Adam and Eve way back in Genesis, well, Adam and Eve kind of make a mistake. They, face kind of, they have to face the consequences of it. And all of a sudden, kind of dealing with the consequences, what's become known as kind of the curse... Adam says this to God. Now, this isn't in our Bibles. This is in like the Midrash, but it was a story that everybody would have kind of known at the time of Jesus, where Adam says this, shall I be tied to the manger with the donkey? And so all of like Luke's audience, they would kind of be familiar with that. And when Adam is thought to say this, he's kind of complaining about like the trouble that he's in. And he's thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like my life is going to be reduced to being tied to a manger with a donkey. And it's almost as if Luke is saying, listen, you think that God was in this curse. You think that it's this terrible thing, but here's the deal. We're going to turn that on its head. It's like being fulfilled, like Adam as a representation of all of humanity is now like come to this manger, but not for a punishment, not for a curse, but for rescue, for hope, for joy, and for life. There's an even more interesting passage about a donkey and a manger and it's found in this book in the Old Testament called Isaiah. It's this really big, long book. And inside of it, right at the beginning, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 3, this is what it says. It says, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey, the manger of its Lord. But Israel has not known me. My people has not understood me. So what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is there's been a misunderstanding. There's been a misunderstanding. Like the animals know where to get fed, right? How many of y'all have pets? Any kids in the room have pets? Do they know where their food dish is? Do you know where your food dish is when it comes to time for me? Come on, it's time for food, right? I, I rode a horse once, once. Never will do that again. How many horse people in the room? Horse people. No, I'm not a horse person. I rode a horse one time. We're doing fine. We're headed out. There's somebody in front of us, and something happened in that horse's brain, and it thought dinner time, and it literally just turned around and ran back to where we came from a lot faster than it was walking out there where I was with it because it thought it was time to eat, and I thought to myself, I'm never riding a horse again. But what did that horse know? It knew where to get dinner, right? It was so familiar with it. This is where I go. And what Isaiah is saying is like, listen, animals know their Lord. They know the manger. Like, they get it. But Israel, they've been wandering. They miss the point of God. The way they think God is working, the way they think God is functioning is off. And it's like Luke is saying, but here's the, the manger where people are going to start to recognize God. God's people are beginning to find the Lord right now. They're beginning to find the one that will mirror and model this source of joy for all the people, this manger and so it's not that Israel no longer understands God, but all of us are going to have this opportunity to understand the manger of our Lord. So when you hear about a manger and you think to yourself, what's the meaning of it? Why does it matter? It's such a magical idea. The meaning behind the manger, well, here's the deal. The manger is a symbol of God's sustaining care for all people. That God is saying, I am present, I am here, you can come to this place and I will feed you and I will care for you and you can understand me. It's in the manger where Jesus is that the people will begin to understand the true nature of God. You know, Jesus called himself in the Gospel of John the bread of life. I think he should have called himself the hay of life. 
I think Jesus got it wrong there, or John at least. We'll have words about that at some point in time in the future. He says, I'm the bread of life, right? What does an animal find in the manger is food, a source of life and sustenance. And the, the manger is the place where we come to find life, nourishment for our souls to be fed, to understand God in the truest form and truest understanding. And so we have an opportunity when we come to the manger to accept by faith that the character of God is reflected in this Jesus. That of all the spaces and the places and the people who tell us about the nature of God, it's in the person of Jesus. It's in the hands that would touch the untouchable. It was in the heart that was for the oppressed and the poor. It was in this Jesus that we would understand the heart of God. And here's what's so beautiful. When we live in faith, when we live in a belief that this Jesus is this revelation of God, we can become the manger. We are the mangers for the light of the world. If on the first Christmas night, the light of the world entered into our space and shines brightly, we're told that we are the light of the world and the light can shine in us. And when that happens, then our lives feed the hungry. Then our lives bring hope to the hopeless. And so tonight is holy. We're getting ready to hear this beautiful song about a holy night. And it is a holy night, but tonight is not holy because of what happened 2,000 years ago. Tonight is holy because of what happens right now, that the light of the world is born again. The light of the world comes right now and is laid in our hearts, the human mangers. And I believe deeply that God is still sending shepherds to us to find hope. That when we choose to be the manger for the light of the world, God will bring shepherds to us. God will light up the night sky and give us opportunities to bring hope. And so the question we're forced to face is not, did the manger happen? Did the manger not happen? What is it all? Can we find it? Who wrote it? No, the question is, are we willing to shine the light? Are we willing to be the manger, the space and the place where Jesus comes to rest and to live so that the light of the world can shine brightly on this holy night?
I want to invite you to stand with your candles. We're going to light candles now. A couple of instructions. Very weak. So pay attention. Once your candle is lit, <laughs> let everybody else turn their candle. Okay. So don't take a lit candle and turn it on its side. It just makes a mess everywhere. All right. So once your candle is lit, you just pass it on to someone just like that. All right. And then the other thing is this, we are doing our very best to keep everyone as safe as possible this evening. You're wearing your masks. And so when we're finished with our candle lighting, we'll have a blessing. Uh, and then do not blow your candle out. We're just going to hold them until the wax runs out, and then we'll let you go, okay? <laughs> no, we have candle snuffers uh, for every row, okay? So on the far left side, there's small silver candle snuffers in every section, on every row. So when we're finished, we'll uh, just pass those snuffers down each row and we'll put the candles out that way, all right, to be as safe as possible. So listen, we light candles from the Christmas uh, candle, from the Jesus candle, which spreads this light around the room. And it reminds us that the light of the world is spread from one person to the next to the next. I want to invite our staff and council to join me on stage. Those that might be here in the room, they've already come. We'll light candles. We'll sing Silent Night together.